Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Chilowitz and Roni Abovitz for This Week in XR. It is March 17th, 2023, and Ted and I are slowly recovering from South by Southwest. And uh, we were just giving Roni some more FOMO for not coming and speaking and, you know, hanging out and enjoying the glorious serendipity that is uh, South by Southwest. Yeah, the gang was pretty much all there except for you, Roni. <laughs> it was it was a kind of a reunion year. Uh, I gave a few different talks. Charlie was judging XR. It was uh, it was a whole to do. You know, it was good. We had a good time. And I'm still recovering from my cedar allergy, which it sounds oh. like I have a cold, but I don't actually. I have a severe allergy to cedar, which blooms in the spring in Austin. And it causes uh, everyone to think I have a cold. And I have to say, I don't have a cold. I'm not contagious. I'm just allergic to cedar. And uh, we don't have that in California. Biggest question, did Charlie get to see the bats? Oh, did you get to see the bats, Charlie? I walked by the bridge. I guess it wasn't the right time. It was about 6.30 and it wasn't too late. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was looking for them. It was dusk, right? It felt like it was sunset, but I did not see them. So, and then I did not get, wasn't ever over there uh, around the right time to take another look. Next year. Next year, the bats with you, Roni. Maybe I will take you to see the bats. Exactly. You know, this week, our guests are the winners of the XR exhibition, Karen Palmer. She was the producer and director of Consensus Gentium, which is a movie that you watch on your smartphone. I don't know, it's 20 or 30 minutes, uh, but it's really quite extraordinary because you start to think the messages coming in that are part of the movie are for you. Uh, and so it's, it's sort of not a real, really an XR experience. One's one first prize. Second prize went to a real VR experience, which was straight up sort of looking into a mirror. And if you are a man, you look nice picture of the bats Roni just threw up behind him. Keep going. Uh, so Body, Body Mind by um, Cameron Kostanopoulos, who was one of my students actually at uh, ASU graduate school. Uh, showed that. And then I got Roman Rapak from Miroshot to uh, come and, and chat with us right after he lands in Europe. Uh, his band uh, has started a, a company called Wristband, which lets them give concerts that are simultaneously in AR and VR, and that the people sitting in the audience experience in mixed reality. Uh, like all of the VR, that I saw at the show, its largest limitation in ever being seen widely is the terrible throughput that VR has in public places. So, and that's the problem with the festival, right? People line up at, you know, 11 o'clock, they run in there, they wanna sign up for VR things. But the truth is that most of those are only gonna, they're, some of them are 10, 20 minutes long. They're only gonna accommodate eight or 12 people an hour. They're open for six hours. So, you know, there's, I don't know how many people at South by Southwest, 60,000 at least for the conference that we were at. So, yeah, yeah to, your point, Charlie, to your point, the 
the two folks we're going to have on the podcast today, I didn't get to see either of their works at Sundance. I saw about six other things. I saw this remarkable piece from a woman named Victoria, who I've known for a long time, that did a almost hour-long VR piece uh, that basically um, chronicles and uh, creates narrative around the Cambodian tragedy, where a lot of parents lost yeah, their children. Yeah, I, wa I, wa I watched that. Extremely emotional and powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, but because I spent an hour in that, I wasn't able to see the other two things that ultimately won the festival. So you, point, you'd have to do what I did, Ted, which is spend all of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday building your day around seeing VR right. experience. Very difficult. So it actually kind of ruined my first, seeing 25 of the 30 experiences in the XR Expo um, minimized the rest of my South by Southwest. So I wasn't kind of free to roam and yeah. be exposed to new things, which is the best thing about South by. Yeah, well, while you were doing that, I was either in a green room prepping for a talk or giving a talk or but wait, other people's talk. So it's interesting. Yeah. Here's the best thing that happened. And it's always not the thing you plan for or expected. Uh, I met Paul um, Bertrand, uh, the, the co-founder of Felix and Paul. Mm -hmm. and yeah, he showed me yeah. an experience that they had made primarily for the original Magic League. But they went ahead and finished the project, and I can't. They don't want me to say a lot about it, so let me just say it's an AR-enabled book that goes far, far beyond yeah, <laughs> anything I did in my first book. So Charlie, they moved it to the ML too, right? To the Magic Leap too. Yeah, yes, and they're looking at other platforms as well. And I think it has a lot of broad appeal. It would work in VR, uh, but this is this is I mean the best studio in in xr i mean they just do the best work the 360 work and and you know i'm not generally a huge fan of 360 but but theirs is really good and and charlie that project i remember uh the the felix and paul team and i think it was lisa henson from the henson yes Company. yes yes they were in my office pitching this and it well, was david like, wrote it yeah it was like this has to happen you know, because it, it was kind of like the never-ending story. I'm like, yes, yes, please. Yeah. And then and then we had the intervention of the pandemic. But thank God, like, this blade of grass passed through the cement. Yeah, yeah really good uh, use of it. Yeah, so uh, let's move on because they really were sensitive about me yeah, yeah, we talking, talking about it or writing about it. About it. We love you guys, it. though. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we can keep going on South by Southwest. Let me throw out a few news stories and see what resonates here. First of all, uh, Meta is laying off more people, and they're talking a lot more about AI than than they did about the metaverse a few months ago. So, lots of new um, Meta Schadenfreude in the column. Uh, you know, they say, by the way, a word from uh, Meta Reality Labs is that the product roadmap for XR is not changing. Uh, good to reiterate that Quest Three later this year, a low cost Quest in 2024, and I think an upgraded Ray-Ban stories, but the real uh, news here is see-through AR glasses in 2025. So that's actually pretty soon. But well, uh, this is to my continued thesis, Charlie and Roni, of now I, I've shrunk it down into a much more digestible. If you're trying to innovate, start small, grow small, be big when you're ready. Don't try and buy the market. Don't try and artificially create the market because you will likely tumble and fall. And this is what I'm seeing over and over again from these very well-capped companies. Uh, 
it's a it's a deep frustration for me that they just let, let, let me give you a counter though let me give you a counter ted Go ahead. let's talk about our favorite food company which you obviously mm -hmm. can't talk about there's no way they could start small there's no way they can't not invest tens of billions to ship whatever the first thing they do because if it isn't at the quality level of like all their other stuff so i mean the problem is they they're trapped by their own success so they have to make that giant investment um and i don't know how you start small like that there's so here's the here's the counter through. here's yeah. the counter to that counter okay you are correct but the reason why apple shrouds everything in so much secrecy and then the leak factory is the only way to get information is because at their essence they actually do start small they start with a small core group of people with fairly limited resources to build into something. And as they start to see that this is going to become something, they still keep it secret. So they don't spend any money in the marketing machine, any money in the consumer release machine, any of the, we've got to be big and important. They just squirrel away working and working and working. Internally, and right? Internally. And that yeah. may, by the way, by order of magnitude, not be small, but the the they remove a lot of the spend dynamics by not going public and trying to buy the market they create something that is really compelling and when they feel it's right they'll release it and there's been a little you know scuttlebutt about tim cook apparently sort of forcing the hand of the engineers and it's a really good yeah, this was, that was news that was breaking this week i was going to bring yeah. this up yeah uh and i included a lot of the um uh, the press and the column that had come out this week about supposedly Cook overruling some people on his team in engineering uh, who thought the product wasn't ready and that he's pushing the release in uh, June at their you know annual conference. So yes, we'll see. We'll see. And that never sounds, that's never a good look. Engineering thinks it won't work. <laughs> Not but a I, good one. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening with all that story through a very refined lens of trying to see what that really means. That story exactly. has a truthiness factor of maybe you never know, right? It could be. Yeah, I mean, there was so much coverage of this story from yeah. so many big outlets. I'm, I don't know. This wasn't like a bunch of us grubby. Uh, internet uh, uh, bloggers, <laughs> you know, scrumming up and copying each other. Yeah. You know, this was like real original journalism. Real deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, also the hit parade, uh, there's a company, I don't know if you, have you guys heard of Adept AI? Yes. Not, not since yeah. you wrote about it, Charlie. This was it, This is the $350 million on top of 65 raised in, in the middle of last year. Yeah. And they're doing the enterprise AI. Uh, so I mean, that, I mean that's numbers, that's what we know about the company. <laughs> here's the reality. I think people might be surprised about the numbers, but look, uh, OpenAI needed like you know over a billion, probably close to two billion, to get to critical mass to do anything significant. Mm -hmm. So I think the coin of the realm in being an actual player in AI is probably close to a billion and above. So the 300 million is just like a stepping stone. Otherwise, you're building on top of somebody. And you're beholden to the landowners. So it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people will build their business on top of someone else, like on top of OpenAI, Microsoft, or on top of Google. Yeah. But that's very shaky, like, because at any moment, the terms change and suddenly, like, your business is gone. So if you want to actually be a player, 
you know, the coin of the realm to get in is probably in the billion dollar plus range. To build I mean, your own with a with a different gating engine and a different use case and a different... Or at least more control over the land, right? You know, Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, you know, I hate to be that guy that sort of scratches his head and goes, I still get it. But like, I don't get... I'll be that there... guy instead, Ted. Please, because <laughs> it's like, is there a professional enterprise version of Google search that I missed somewhere along the line? Like, isn't it just ubiquitous? And that's what makes it so powerful. Isn't that why, you know, Bing is, is kind of, you know, Bing is bang. Like, you know, it's like, there we go. Here we go, baby. Everybody's got it now. Right. I, I, I get, and I, obviously I see enterprise layers that will use the power of scale, but I guess I don't see a real logic, certainly not investor logic at that kind of capital to try and compete against that everybody has access to the tool and build things on it. Um, but maybe I'm missing something. I'm, uh, clearly I am because investors see something I don't, you know? Ted, I think the biggest thing is a lot of, a lot of businesses and sectors have data they're not sharing. That's sure, not I get that. And maybe that dark matter of data, which is not in any search engine that nobody wants to share that could be right. trade secret. Like there's no thing for that. So it could be, that's an interesting area. So it's like the Rand Corporation type of thing where there's all these data silos that they keep and protect for all these, you know, government agencies and people that have to be shrouded in secrecy. And I'm I guess sure General Motors puts all of its like prints online for open AI to scrape, right? Right, so, exactly. Yeah, so stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, final news story, Tilia. Brad Oberwager was on the show. Tilly is the payment system that spun out of Second Life and partnered up with JP Morgan. They yeah. just brought in 22 million and Brad has officially signed on as CEO, which probably means that they'll be looking for a new CEO uh, to run Second Life because he's been running it uh, in the meantime since he he bought it from uh, the VCs who originally backed who originally backed it and really wondered why they didn't sell it for a billion dollars in 2007. <laughs> At their moment, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Tilia is the real deal and they're partnering with JP Morgan. And as you know, I was always very skeptical that the metaverse was gonna run on cryptocurrency because credit cards work so well. The, the problem is trans transaction size and Tilia solves that. So. Right. I, I think they're in a very good spot. I don't know who's competing with them. It seems like they could be the ready player me of uh, virtual currencies. Yeah, I mean, crypto microtransaction is an interesting thing. And I actually think it's it's sneaking the overall crypto markets back up between the bank failures of the last, we talked about this a lot in Austin, the bank failures of the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, there's this kind of confidence pendulum swing, swing right? Where mm. there's a swing away from all things crypto because of the instability and the, the the lack of sort of actual user value. And then when traditional banks get shaky, people swing their money and their, their interest back into the more sort of exotic. And now there's another wave of like sort of crypto excitement, which is interesting. Humans are very, very predictable <laughs> when it turns out to be, you know? All right, Ka Director Karen Palmer's in the green room. Let's bring her in. Welcome to This Week in XR. Great to virtually see you again uh, oh awesome lovely to see you too uh we were talking about the film at the top of the show and uh i said i said there were times when i was watching it and messages were showing up that i thought they were mine <laughs> that's the idea um it was about creating this 
seamless blend with reality and um, fiction through a device using the something that we're so connected to, which is absolutely imperative to our daily life. Yeah. And that understanding of that vocabulary and that language is just so natural and intuitive to us. Yes. And tapping into that connection. Yes, turning that into a storytelling language yeah. is so yeah. genius. Well, and, and Roni and I can only listen in silence because we both have FOMO because neither of us have seen it. Only Charlie uh, of our group has seen the but, experience. But wait, here's here's the thing. Oh, good. Give us this, some insight. This film could be distributed <laughs> on every smartphone in the world. So when is that happening? <laughs> when do we get start, to see it? This oh, could my. start a whole new genre of app-based storytelling on smartphones uh, and you could literally have an app, maybe a little AI communicating with you or telling a story in your uh, message feed or, or you know, another interface that that would start to take place throughout the day and have context. Oh, I'd be willing to bet you. It's that's crazy. I'd be willing to bet a hundred percent of our listeners have smartphones. So the question <laughs> is, when do they get to check it out, and when do they <laughs> get to check it out? Um, that's a great question. So what we what I delivered at South by Southwest was a very high level prototype. Um, so it was really part of our R&D development. It was never supposed to be released, but it was just so hot off the press. So it's a bit premature. So basically, um, as soon as we get into that state of production um, and talk to our go back to our um, uh, uh, partners at the BFI and yeah just get get to that next stage get to that next stage which we're really excited about doing we we're a bit too hot off the press with it because we were so excited understand uh, well, I guess then you'll wow. just have to give us the 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 general scoop of what it is and what we should expect when it does come out so we can all learn what you did yeah, what you made yeah so um consensus gentleman is a film that watches you back using artificial intelligence and facial recognition uh so it's a branching narrative set on your mobile device, set in the near future world of bias, AI and surveillance. So you basically download a film um, that acts as if it's on your, <laughs> your mobile device and uses the interface as the mobile as, as part of the narrative. And, and your objective is to visit your sick nana, um, you know, the heartstrings of the sick nana. And um, to do that, you are kind of tested by the government and given certain objectives to achieve. And you have to download the governmental app, which involves things like auto self-surveillance. So we'll, which is things I've come up with as a futurist. So you're giving away your, your data and your digital civil liberties in return for more freedoms. That, I mean, that actually is the way it works in China, is it not? It's, it is like in a nutshell, similar, very, very similar in terms of the social credit system, which is very much a, um, a aspect of um, inspiration for this in terms of the more compliant a citizen you are, the more- um, The more access you get. The more access, but not just digital, like you'll be able to be eligible for more um, higher profile jobs or more, or more, um, uh, higher wage jobs and you can also as well with mobility be able to travel to certain instances even in China if your dog was to um, defecate somewhere you didn't clean it up and the camera picked it up then that would affect your social credit um, status when, whenever uh, I hear storylines to this there's a part of my brain that triggers from the movie Brazil did you all see the movie Brazil? yes yes yes, yes that's Which like part? over and over just the whole concept of how 
you know, Terry Gilliam was such a genius and so far ahead of the curve of what is actually becoming real now. So anybody, for anyone that's listening who has never watched the movie. I think, this reminded me of the Black Mirror episode mm. where, you know, there's social credits and you rate every interaction right. that you have. Right. And that creates your social rating, which again, gives you access to, you know, it, it measures your influence. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I'd like to say thanks for both those kind of comparisons because Brazil, I'm a filmmaker. And when you say Brazil, I'm just thinking of that shot of the lady and the big eye and she's looking at them. And um, I, bring, I bring that kind of sense of cinematography to my work. And I feel in the immersive space, as a filmmaker, I've coming at it from a different direction. I'm coming from a different kind of visual um, spectrum and also character development and everything. And then Black Mirror as well. People often compare me to, to Black Mirror. I haven't seen a lot of Black Mirrors, but- well, there's just that one episode. I'll, I'll send you yeah. a little blurb Yeah, that. do, so but that, that's a, a brilliant comparison in terms of social satire um, on the money. But, but um, the piece you did pretty... had no satire in it. I mean, it was a very serious, dramatic piece. Uh, and um, and it, it certainly made me feel like uh, it was a bit of a cliffhanger uh, since I <clears throat> I wanted to know whether the you know what happened to the character right that I that I had kind of inhabited so is it going to be a longer piece when you finish it is it going to be episodic are you going to make a different one using this new storytelling technique um so at the end, there's three potential endings, depending on if you're dissident, compliant, or somewhere in the middle, which I feel most people are. So um, I'm not sure what ending you got, Charlie, if you're dissident or more so compliant in this case. Uh, I think I probably said I was a dissident since I can't imagine saying I was the only <laughs> But what happened is that this is this this um part one of consensus gentian. I'm sure you're dissident as well, Charlie. Um is uh Consensus gentium is Latin for everyone believes it must be true. So it's kind of comment on perception of society we're living in now. So the part one is actually a complete like experience. And part so part one is looking at the problem and part two is looking at the solution. So that's going on. So this is a this is complete, this one. Um, mm -hmm. So part one was looking at how we need to kind of democratize AI and you know, the consequences of bias in AI and potentially look at governance and um, policy and transparency for AI, where part two is kind of like, okay, we're not really asking you to do these things, we're going to more take control. And there's more about decolonization of AI and what that might look like through a storytelling experience. Karen, question for you. Um, Please. When you think about like what you built and what you're building, there's like stories and films and there's games. Where where do you think you sit inside that continuum? I'm I'm very fascinated by it. Try yeah. to blur that line. And I think they are sort of separate mindsets, but I'm just wondering where is your brain on that? Um yeah, that's a good question because I'm kind of everywhere a little bit because it the, the basis of it is film. So it's story and film, um, but it has this kind of gaming interface. I think it was um, Fast Company described it as your brain is the joystick when it comes to my work. So it's kind of your kind of, your, yes, yeah, like a, your brain is the interface and it's imperceptible technology. It's high level tech, but you'd have to put a VR headset on or anything. It's just your brain is connecting. So I think I'm... In between that, in, I'm at the intersection of, of all those and more in terms of art, tech, science, 
and other forms as well. I think what's super cool about what you're doing is I think you're pushing like a phone to do things way beyond what it was intended. And hopefully one day you'll stumble into like the, the, the next level things that will really light up like this kind of storytelling. Cause like, I, you know, you're sort of bursting out of the seams of a phone, you know, needing immersiveness and sensing and AI and networks. And, you know, that that's going to be super, like you need filmmakers, like what you, what you are to break out of either the game mold or the TV or film mold. Right. And there's like this new place. I don't know if you have a good, good word for it yet, but it's really cool to see. Actually, I, I the word I was using a few years ago is neurogaming. Say that again? Neurogaming. neuro-gaming. Yeah, oh, neurogaming. Wow. Very William Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> That's how a few people have described my work. And um, before COVID, actually, particularly before this project, I was using EEG sensors um, to where people would put it on their head and they would be, it would branch the narrative. And that's how they were describing my work. So I kind of listened to what, how people describe it, how they're interpreting it. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to explore where this goes as well in terms of next steps, in terms of really I'm bursting out the scene. Cause this is like a test in a way um, that I thought could really rock it. And it has done so, so I'm right. Okay, now we've got a feel of it. Like what would be next? What is uh, what is your background that led you to this type of creationism on a on a teeny little device with a teeny little screen? I'm curious. I'm always curious if if artists feel frustrated by the lack of real estate or inspired by the lack of real estate. No, hundred no, percent. So my background is that I started out as a convent, like a filmmaker, and I used to direct music videos, TV commercials, and documentaries um, ages ago. And then I was like, you know what? I feel the future is going to be technology. Let me just close this door because these beautiful wind chimes are going. One second. <laughs> we couldn't hear that at all. Okay. I didn't hear it either. Um, so, um, so I guess it closed the door. There was this lovely wind chimes going. That um, so I used to direct music videos, TV commercials, and documentaries. And then about 15 years ago, I said, I feel the future is going to be technology and film or technology and something because I feel that people want to have to have this stimulant. There's always going to be a place for pass. Um, passive like observer based film or other forms of media but I really felt that people want to engage more and technology through that and then I made a couple of films where there were life site installations and AI from 2016 and 2019 and um, then I was like you know it's really cool making these kind of award-winning pieces that sit in gallery spaces and museums but however, I really need to get to the masses and this message needs to get to the masses. So it's kind of like it's purpose driven because I have a message first and then the most appropriate way to meet reached masses with this story about AI is through AI and directly <laughs> to them. So it kind of it kind of chose itself. It wasn't really up to me because that was my objective. So do you have a, a website where people can check out your work or some of the work you've done? Is there going to be a website where people can sign up to get updates about this so that when it goes yes. public, they can learn about yeah. it, all that kind of good stuff? Yeah. So, um, wow, thank you for that really lovely plug. I'm just always, I'm always prompting to make sure we get, you know, yeah. people to know so what I am. Um, I have, thank you. I have uh, my, my, my web, well, the website for the project is consensusgentium.ai which is C-O-N-S-E-N-S-U-S-G-E-N-T-I-U-M dot A-I. And on there, there is, and there should be an option 
to um I'll, I'll make sure that uh, yeah. we'll put it in the, there's a link in the right. column yeah you can where you can connect and then there's karenpalmer.uk which is my personal website about me the artist and I'm a futurist as well and I'm a futurist through um a black lens so my perspective is very much focused on the future of working class um people who are probably women or black or minorities and their future which isn't really normally represented when people tend to do futurism because um, I think they're going to have a slightly different future. I, I noticed I noticed it, I did take a quick look at the site Karen and I noticed that you do a lot of public speaking. Yes. And this is so interesting. We could take this conversation in a couple of directions. We we don't have a lot of time. I am very interested in talking to you further about the possibility. You should talk to Ted because I think he knows people at movie studios. But no, you, I know somebody. I know you, think, you think of the possibilities of this with movie stars and being tied to, um, you know, being tied to uh, uh, larger media events and it's just you know I think you're inventing a new language and a new way for um you know for artists to reach reach a, a, an, an audience of incalculable size you know we've never this is sort of the internet in in your hand but it it also sort of melts into this device which is like making us into cyborgs yes yes no a hundred percent um I'm I mean like Netflix did Bandersnatch and it was like a this, you know, in terms of it, it was like narrative where you clicked a button and mine is using your facial detection and eye gaze. I mean, I'm really proud as like a black woman who's an independent artist working with the BFI and National Lottery in the UK as an independent and my amazing team, um, Unless Pictures, in um, Australia and immersive studios in Chicago that we were able to create this new interface. So I'm really, we're kind of open to the next steps. Um, as an independent artist, you have to be, uh, but we have a vision to be, continue to be independent and continue to trailblaze and continue to develop our partnerships with people as well. So, well, congratulations again on winning the jury prize for XR Experience at South by Southwest. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I think anybody listening to this is going to be dying to look at this thing on their phone. So uh, hopefully it won't be too long. Yes, uh, hopefully it won't be too long. We'll but hopefully we'll be able to follow up with you. Uh, yes, offline definitely. And, uh, learn Absolutely. more about uh, what Absolutely. you've got going on and see if there's, uh, at least in my part, some way to help help tell this story and keep it going. Thank you so much, Charlie and Ted and Ronnie. Much appreciated. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. Cameron Costopoulos of Los Angeles is joining really interesting. us. I'm, I was looking at her website as you guys were talking and she's very, uh, yeah, she's yeah, right? a lot of stuff going right? on. She's an interesting woman. I know. She is an interesting person. Wow. And it, you know, it also, it gives me pause about how the UK in all of its forms support supports artist dynamics much stronger than we do in the in the West in the in yeah. the US. Everything is has to be commercially viable in the US. And the UK understands art artistry in a different through a different lens. Well, through speaking of a different lens, we have Cameron has joined us. Uh, Cameron, welcome to this week in XR. Uh, I think I forced you to listen to, or I'm sorry, I assigned you to listen to this podcast back in the fall uh, when we were doing our XR uh, history and context class. So um, Cameron is a graduate student at Arizona State University, a recent graduate of USC. 
and uh, he is uh, a, I guess, VR filmmaker and won a special jury prize uh, for his uh, film Body of, for his experience Body of Mind. Uh, I will let him describe it, but I will only say that my fellow juror, Jessica Brillhart, was in tears. And uh, she laid down and said, if this is not the best experience, it needs a special recognition award, because finally someone had done the real empathy machine that Balenson and Nani De La Pena and others have been talking about for, I don't know, 20 years, this ability to put you in someone else's shoes. So I think Cameron has executed that idea and more because there's a lot more to this. So Cameron, welcome and tell us and everybody. And again, Roni and, and Ted did not do, have a chance to do the experience. So share, share with us uh, the experience and and uh, you know I'm so excited uh, that you got this honor uh, and got recognized for your work you know sort of like right out of the gate man that is so impressive so the, anyway, I mean, tell, super this is the super FOMO episode of this week in exile yeah because it's really going to be hard for the public to see this <laughs> right well yeah thank you so much Charlie thank you for inviting me uh, it's <clears throat> super cool to be a part of the podcast after listening to it in your class um, and uh, for uh for everyone else it's, it's super great to meet you guys uh i'm cameron i was one of charlie's students uh, i'm a filmmaker uh, of live action work and vr work uh, and other multimedia stuff so uh this has been my first vr experience so seeing like it just kind of take off has been super 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 cool um i literally like didn't a year ago i didn't know how to make vr content and a year later taking home a special jury prize from South by Southwest. So it's been a really cool year um, and a really cool journey. Uh, but if you're not familiar with the piece, Body of Mine, uh, it's a full body experience that puts you inside the body of another gender and you can interact with your skin to discover stories, thoughts, emotions, interviews with trans people. Um, so it's kind of a gender dysphoria exploration through VR um, and kind of an experiment in how do you create intimacy and empathy through technology? Um, how can you create an experience where you forget for a moment that you have all these trackers strapped to you and this bulky headset and a cable coming out of the back how can you forget that for a moment so you connect on a really visceral experience to uh, uh transgender stories i thought that was very effective let me um do my journalist thing for just a second and try and describe this in in a, in a slightly different way so you you enter this themed environment which is all like you know blood red and you know, seems like you're inside of a body. And, you know, they, they, as, as Cameron said, they put, he, he has them put body trackers on you and uh, a VR headset. I, I think, was that a Vive? I can't even remember. Uh, we were using a Vive Pro I for eye tracking uh, with, with so, Vive. So trackers. you put on the Vive Pro and you're kind of, you um, spawn into this environment like inside the body so you sort of see ribs and parts of organs or at least you know impressionistic you know kind of right i felt like i was in a womb right that's yeah yeah the experience takes place inside a rib cage we wanted to uh, create a genderless experience we all have heart and lungs and rib cages um but also something that was dysphoric and had the metaphor being trapped inside your own skin so so you're so that's the quote-unquote vr room that you're in and within that room, there is a mirror. And that's where the body tracking comes in because, you know, the, the avatar in the mirror tracks perfectly to your physical body. But, you know, if you're uh, a man, now you're in a woman's body. 
And the narration is about the experience of being in the wrong body. So it really, you know, is filled with these super interesting, uh, you know, so pre-association in a way uh, that is very personal and uh, very surprising, I thought. I think other people were were super emotionally affected by it. Were there others in addition to Jessica who were just so visibly sh shaken to finally do the thing that we've all been talking about for so long? Yeah, we, we had a lot of tears, uh, a lot of people coming back to me and uh, a lot of big hugs and crying. A couple of people couldn't talk right away. They had to go and like take a couple laps around the ballroom and then circle back to us and let us know their thoughts. Um, it was it was a really cool, it was really cool to see um, even cisgender people, how strong emotional reaction they had. Because even though our experience is combining this tech with, with trans interviews and it's a trans story, uh, there's also very universal qualities to it. It's about how we relate to our bodies, how we exist in our own skin, uh, the way we perceive ourselves in a mirror. Um, and that's something that everyone can relate to. So lots of tears. <laughs> Yeah, it um, it made me feel like the gender dysphoria part, like that people exist on a spectrum. It isn't black or white or you're this or you're that, you know, it's everybody is an individual. So I thought that message was important and kind of transcended even the, you know, the LGBTQ themes in it. Totally. Yeah, thank you. And that and that's why the piece was so perfect for VR, because we wanted to be a human experience and we wanted to talk about humans, not in terms of gender or with categories or putting people in boxes. We wanted to just like look at all these bodies, look at our bodies and look at everyone um, as just human beings. So, so let me ask you this question as I'm listening to you and Charlie talk, because it's interesting as someone who has not seen the work, but curious and have seen things that explore these themes, um, they they tend to find themselves, and this may be a little bit of a controversial vein, but it's interesting to talk about it. The, these pieces tend to find themselves where audiences are already pre-tuned up for this type of thing. Mm. A film festival has an audience typically that is much more open and much more caring about different forms of humanity and different choices. How do you feel, and is it, do you think it is impossible to bring this to audiences that don't have that openness, that are much stronger biased and much sort of closed-minded to the way that they were raised or their environments are? And do you think, based on the fact that it's new media and it's VR, you would have success actually trying to change hearts and minds of people whose hearts and minds uh, need to be changed because in a film festival, I think you've already got it. Um, if you take it to a place outside of a film festival, it would be interesting to see what the reaction you get is. And would you get a reaction of people that just reject it and don't understand it and feel like they're being threatened by it? I'm very curious if you have perspective. To totally. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a good question. Um, and, and you're totally right. For, for the moment, we are kind of limited to film festival circles and art galleries and places where we can physically put our equipment because the tech we're using isn't just as, it's not as easy to distribute as just putting it on a Quest 2, you know? Um, so the things you're talking about are things that we're always thinking about. And it's definitely uh, one of our long-term goals is how can we make it as accessible and easy to put on the head to get into as possible so that we can reach those people. Uh, me, myself, I was raised in Texas. Uh, so coming here has been like a, a return home. 
Uh, and I was raised in a homophobic household and uh, a very homophobic environment. So in all of my work, uh, VR and live action and everything else, um, I'm always thinking about that. Um, I'm thinking, you know, how can I create an experience that would change my dad's mind? Um, and, you know, I think that's always uh, something that's on my mind. It's always so have you had a chance out. to show it to your dad? Has he seen uh, it? Uh, I don't have a relationship uh, with oh, my parents anymore. Wow. Uh, yeah, so so maybe one day. Maybe you know, day let me just say it. this, Cameron. That's that's really a shame because they're missing the opportunity to be proud of you. Yeah. You know, so I, I have to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm proud story. of you. Everybody at ASU is really proud of you. So I, I just, I think that they, they, you know, I know it's really hurtful to you. It's very present to you. You talk about this a lot, but uh, I just want to say that, uh, they're they're the ones that who are missing out, and it's really a shame. Uh, but uh, hopefully, the incredible response that you've gotten has given you just a little something that that you couldn't get anywhere else. So, and by the way, Cameron, sometimes like maybe this podcast, as crazy as it might sound, <laughs> send this to them, you know, because they can just <laughs> click on it and listen to it on YouTube or on an Apple, you know, podcast. What I've noticed about people, especially with family situation. This is kind of interesting. So I'm trying to do a little bit of therapy. Section. I know, but he's, you know, he's got such a baby face. It's hard to resist. But it's, but it's interesting <laughs> because I've seen this many times, man. I've, you know, between Charlie and Rody and I, we've been around the block quite a long, longer than you have. Um, the idea of changing hearts and minds is not a one-step process. It tends to be slowly chipping away and finding an entry point where they feel comfortable. They don't feel threatened. They feel like they can learn something safely. So maybe, you know, if you're looking, and uh, you may not be looking to rekindle that relationship, but if you are, perhaps this plus, 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 plus may achieve that objective. And then you can come back on the podcast a year from now or a day from now or a month from now and say, but, guess what? But did, did people you knew that you grew up with in Austin see it? Yeah, some of my some of my childhood friends have seen it. Uh, I was super cool to put them in a headset because th those are people who are totally right uh, removed from film and VR and television. They some of them had never done VR in general, much less a full body thing. So, see mm -hmm. those reactions were super cool too. Um, and uh, yeah, the whole gamut of people uh, had just a range of reactions. So, so Cameron, uh, a, a friend of mine is is the guy at Alex Poots. He runs the shed in New York. I don't know if you know the shed, but like that's uh, I, I just sent him the link as we're talking um, because, you know, th that's like the kind of venue. I don't know if he'll, he'll do it or not, but like that's the kind of place that if you keep touring this thing uh, would get just get a really big audience. And, you know, there's other places like that uh, around the U.S. and around the world. And I think what's really interesting, like because um, I built a lot of XR tech, is that it does reshape people's sense of reality um, and, and that jarring nature of like, I think I know what reality is. And then you spend some time in it and it knocks over these fixed things, which are not true. Um, and what's interesting is you're blending, like wanting to change a mindset with a tech, which actually jars the mind out of its like preconceived notions of reality. So it's really interesting to see the story and the tech coming together for maybe it's real intended purpose. Uh, Cause people do have this like wrong sense of reality. Right. And like, it's usually only been like physicists who study quantum mechanics or philosophers sitting on mountaintops who sort of like contemplate these things. But then this like level jumps, you'd be like, no, it's just not that, you know, you don't have to be a Tibetan monk meditating for 20 years. So it's interesting how you're like throwing people into this state that causes, causes them to question a bunch of fixed beliefs, which are probably not true. 
many things about like uh, reality that they people believe are not true and then the the truth is probably scary to them but it's interesting how you're jarring that and maybe it's a really interesting tool to reshape mindset it'd be really kind of crazy to see like you tour bunch of red states with this probably in an armored truck <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of navy seals well that was kind of what the point i was getting to is you know yeah. take, take it to yeah. the gucci red part i mean again again you know this kind of location-based art piece is is very specific so uh it's the the biggest problem is a lot of people can't experience it because you can only go in one at a time and it's i also think just so interesting that you know you made this sort of empathy piece and you couldn't have found a better mentor uh, than Nani de la Pena. So, you know, that was sort of one of the happy accidents of this graduate program sort of popping up in downtown LA with very little notice. And somehow Cameron and ASU and Nani found each other. So uh, it was very fortunate for uh, the art world and the people at South by Southwest that you found it and that you've made it. I can't wait to see what you do next. And uh, hopefully I'll see you downtown soon. So hey Charlie, Cameron, can we do one more shout out? One more shout out before, before we- before Oh wait, we yeah, bodyofmindvr.com is the website. And, and in case anyone's listening at the White House, you should invite Cameron to show this to Congress and show this to, to the White House. That's a way to change yeah, everything. Yeah, certain people in Congress. If you guys are listening at the White House, invite him over. <laughs> And and Cameron, I will I will make the same offer that I made to my friend Victoria, who I don't know if you saw her piece, Charlie, I know saw it about the Cambodian refugees, incredibly emotional, jarring piece. Uh, so, you know, I have the studio in Los Angeles at Paramount. I have a place in Malibu and a place downtown that can be venues to show this to more people. So and Charlie knows, you know, we, we can stay connected. So oh yeah, uh, there's a, and there's also Tim Disney's gallery in Silver Lake. If yeah. you want. So if you need more places to yeah. show it off, uh, that won't cost you anything, uh, and people yeah. will be supportive of it. We will we will yeah. absolutely. I think ASU it. would like him to use ASU, but maybe <laughs> maybe uh, I mean we should do a party for it at at the Hex downtown. I got to tell Nani about that. All right, Cameron, have a great restful weekend. You must be exhausted exhausted yeah and and accomplished you left <laughs> so it on the guys. field yes we did thank we you came, we we did what we came here to do so thank you guys so much this congrats awesome talk with you. cheers cheers all right this is kind of fun speed dating. nice show charlie good job kind of fun speed dating he's he's a great guy that's great i mean it's nice when a student you know becomes motivated and starts to it's 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 a rarity, right? When someone yeah, he came he came, but they come to you that way. Mm -hmm. Let's right? get they the come. White House guys. Let's tweet to the White House. <laughs> yeah, love it. All right, we're getting Roman live from the continent. Wow, this is a somebody whole, who must be exhausted. It's like around the, the whole, world, uh, 180 minutes with Charlie, or 180 whole seconds. extended episode today. I know, you know what we should do, Ted. After I don't know what your schedule is today, but maybe we should do. Uh, a a whole like half hour on South by and what just we the overall South by yeah I still yeah. have to tell you my South by story so. I, I know so we maybe we should just record that when we do it hey Johnny how's it going Roman welcome to this week in XR thank you for uh, calling in and staying awake you must be ready to fall right <laughs> uh, it's been a, it's been an intense week but thank you for having me so. This this year seems to be an upgraded version of last year's experience, right? It was still yeah. a short, I think, two song or three song set. Mm -hmm. and, and there was still a relatively small audience, I think even smaller than we had last year. 
-hmm. but the experience was obviously much better crafted and much more professional and you know so as Thank i you. described before you came on that you know the concert is a mixed reality concert sometimes mm -hmm. you're in pr sometimes you're in mixed reality sometimes you're just using the pass-through cameras and at times you're actually confused about where exactly in reality you are and mm -hmm. at the same time through your company wristband uh, it's also being simulcast in um into the metaverse yeah that's right i think one of the things about combining music with new tech and software is that advantage of it always it is always getting better technology is always improving so there's always new things you can do um but then there's the kind of push and pull side of it which is just when you get a brand new headset and you can do 10 times as many things with it then uh the headset that's been released there are very few of them in the world so you have to have less people so you have this kind of ex expansion and contraction of what's possible and what's happening uh in the actual space but it's, it's also sometimes difficult for people to understand that it's taking place in those three three realms of reality um some people just come along to it and are seeing a band playing on a stage some people are coming along to the physical space and are seeing a band playing on the stage, but then are being transported to a virtual world. And then some people are on a laptop in Oslo, wandering around as an avatar and are sort of unaware of these other letters. So, um, I mean, once yeah. again, Charlie, we'll, we'll probably have to level set a little bit about what, what Roman is talking about here to get <laughs> a sense of what this visual experience was at South by. Did you see it, Ted? Of course not. I, you know, that's oh, a, I have, I have, I saw literally a whole different version. Of <laughs> you, stuff you, you missed me. Okay, so <laughs> Roman is a composer and a musician and leads a wonderful, what I would call trip hop band called Miro Shot. Uh, they're based in Europe. He toured all over the world. His uh, music is on uh, Spotify and iTunes. Uh, highly recommended. I was delighted to discover it. Uh, but he was introduced to me by Ann McKinnon, who is a, uh, a an XR blogger and um, writer and uh, advisor to a number of companies. And she and and that's how she started with Miroshot as an advisor. And I guess she and you and you and Anne uh, started to think about how do you scale this thing? How do you offer it to other musicians? How do you grow it as as a platform that people would be aware of you know as as a you know another way to consume and, and interface with with music and musicians so mm -hmm. uh, them so they created wristband so mm -hmm. the show in austin was put on by miro shot and wristband right. i guess sort of produced the show that's right both, both the vr local part as well as the metaverse part yeah and and so that that was the experience. You stand in line. They take eight people at a time. They put you in chairs in front of a stage. Roman and I think one other musician and a bunch of really cool electronics, uh, you know, play play live. Uh, a couple of um, they were vocal pieces, as I recall. Um, yeah, there's, there's too focused on the words, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a, it was a track um, sort of interspersed with more cinematic and spoken word bits but um Ted I can quickly explain what the user oh. experiences as well Go. because I, 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 we often have you know trying we try and explain this to booking agents who are booking a festival and have had the traditional thing a 
of how we consume a live show for 50 years and trying to explain it to them is actually a lot easier than spending time with Charlie who gets it <laughs> but basically you're walking into a venue you're seated in this venue as Charlie said the headsets you're put that you're put on um, are all connected up on a multiplayer network and what that means is we're allowed to create a show that runs virtually so everything you can do with a game engine flying over a lake um, exploring a destroyed city uh, levels of interaction and interactivity um, but from the stage I'm able to control manually what is happening to the audience and where they are and crucially the um, the onboard cameras um, so this is something that when you see a picture of people sitting in front of a stage in VR headsets, there is this kind of dystopian thing if you don't really see what's going on because you think, well, why would you go to a concert and then put a headset on? Um, and actually what we found, the more we've done it is the more you use the pass-through and the more the audience are in reality, the more powerful the VR and the abstract uh, um, virtual side is. Um, so within that 10 minute period, you will be sitting, looking through the pass-through camera at a stage, then we switch you to a version of that stage that's completely virtual. Um, and you're sitting in the same part of that room, except obviously I can then press another button and the entire audience begins to fly high above Austin. Then we switch you back to reality, but this time with a filter on it, so you're not entirely sure. Am I watching the band? Is this a recording? Is it, are they avatars? And I think that that's really the, you know, the theme of it is that this use of XR as a way of disrupting what your sense of reality is that's sometimes the most powerful thing so it's kind of counterintuitive to think for a virtual reality experience the more you feed reality in the more uh, the more powerful the kind of overall sense is because people leave having that feeling that i definitely was at something real because i queued up there was a band we don't use any headphones so you're hearing real music music different each time as all life concerts tend to be um, but then they've also traveled through worlds where they can look in one direction and fly towards that. They've got this level of agency, um, which you would never be able to do in reality. So, excuse me. So the band is actually performing on stage. It's a real concert. That's right. Yeah. Um, and is your dream or desire, although as uh, when you first started, I thought, oh, this would be an interesting question, but it sounds like maybe not, as I hear you talking about it more, to, to bring it to an optical pass-through device like a Magic Leap so that you can see the band through your eyes, not through video cameras on the device. But mm -hmm. it sounds like, and, and maybe I'm answering the question, but I should let you answer it. It sounds like the preference is to use the video because then you can bring them into a full uh, virtual reality experience and then bring them in and out right so maybe yeah. it's not a great but, place for optical more more beneficial for camera. i think i think it's a really good question because what we have to look at as as a band and as a, a startup is what can this technology do and i think there's a history of musicians everything back to you know craft work or synths where using a piece of technology is invented and it's for frog musicians who've got lots of money and it's used as a, these huge synthesizers for stadium shows. Gradually they become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And then you get a Kraftwerk and a Joy Division and a, a, a New Order, et cetera, because the things become cheap enough so that people don't have to be super rich to use them and also don't have to be beholden to a, a corporate entity or a brand or that you can really pursue whichever creative direction you want. So in the case of the the idea of how can we bring reality into these shows. When we look at Magic Leap and we look at any of these sort of, let's call them true AR devices, it still feels like 
they're too, um, you're still looking through a small window that's the, the virtual element and it's a kind of Pepper's ghost effect of it. And if you're on a stage and you want to transport your audience into sort of pitch blackness, then actually going through the pass-through cameras is much more powerful, especially on the HTC Vive Elite, the pass-through cameras are yeah, super amazing. high resolution yeah. cameras. And, I, and so the, it's, a, it's a, a kind of a balance between, well, if I wanna be able to send the audience into complete darkness and then back in the room and then flying through a, a corridor, uh, if I was doing that through a tiny little sort of post box display, uh, it wouldn't be as, uh, as, as complete in terms of an immersive experience. Yeah, the good news is think, that is uh, that is changing over time. The, the exactly. AR side is starting to get bigger. Uh, and, that's, and, and that's exactly the thing. It's saying, well, what works now for what we need to use now? And then we're learning this strange craft of what, how VR and AR reality virtual could be used in music. And by the time the magic leap is of such a higher resolution that the pass-through camera looks, looks uh, like, a, like a joke, then in the same way that the synths evolved and they got yeah, better yeah. and better and better. And you just... Yeah, and it becomes a, the art form becomes learning a new piece of equipment, mastering it the first and the quickest, and then weaving it into your set. Sorry, um, yeah, Ronnie, I think you said something. I was just going to say, I think I think Roman, what you're what you're playing with is so rapidly evolving. Like, I, mm. I think you could almost do what you're trying to do with like the ML2, but something mm -hmm. that's going to merge between like the best VR pass through today and sort of like the best uh, <laughs> AR systems of 23. Uh, in maybe two years or three years, you're kind of going to get the best of both. Exactly, uh, yeah. I think the ultimate for you will be where you see directly, uh, and then you're going to get wide field of view and crystal clear black at the same mm. time. That's going to no, be the absolutely. Ultimate, like messing with the head of the of the audience. But but I guess that's when you think of the, the pipeline, and this is the other thing, sometimes you have to sort of wear the like game developers hat. So what's the pipeline for this technology that we're doing? Well, we start off in, uh, in this case, uh, Unity, um, we do a build when we were using the older headsets. All the all the resolution was worse. We had to watch all these polygons and all the all, all the, the the kind of level of detail that Charlie talked about had to, had to be much lower. Then we go over to the Vive Elite, and actually, it just means we go back into that project file and we can crank everything up. So the the mechanics will stay the same, and the output is the bit that will that will change. So. Charlie, one last thing, uh, uh, we won't cover it here, but Roman, I'm going to reach out to you because I'm I doing work. I knew this would. I knew this would capture your imagination. Well, no, this is everything Roni cares about in one. Music. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm doing work to one of the major music labels. I won't say who they are, but like mm -hmm. what we're doing, we should talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's another part of this, which is we built this because we were a band and we said, oh, we would love to use this amazing technology, this idea that's this convergence of gaming culture and music culture. There's coders who are becoming artistic. There's musicians who are becoming more well-versed in code. And where is the toolkit for us to take something on tour? And so we built it for ourselves. And since then we realized, well, turning it into a product and allowing other artists to use it um, and turning it into something that kind of is a, almost a white, white label for other artists to use is, is, is what we've been doing over the last eight or nine months. So yeah, that, we're really happy to catch up. There's a quick little promo video that you guys have that's part of the Southwest South by Promo mm -hmm. stuff that I just put under the chat. Charlie can put it in the show notes, and uh, that'll give people yes. a sense of because you do see a group of people wearing VR headsets, and you think, "Well, oh, that's yeah, yeah. isolating," but you're connecting it in a very interesting way so that they're all connected. Uh, yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Yeah, it, it is interesting that, that all the things that the criticisms of XR, all the things that I that are, are problematic with it, 
that in a way you can look at AR and VR as the ultimate, most incredible next step of evolution of how we view the world, et cetera. But then you can also quite easily use it as a metaphor for everything that's wrong with the world. You know, you're yeah. isolated, you're detached from reality, you're not connected to people. So an I concert is a perfect, almost like a perfect antidote to that. Because if you are physically queuing up to go to a thing, then you have the ritual of being at a physical event. If you're sitting next to your uh, girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and we switch the pass through camera and you've just been through this incredible uh, landscape through the chorus and you're back in the room together, then you have that shared experience. Yeah. And, and they're all on a multiplayer experience. So you are everything, everyone's seeing it all together. When people say, remember when we went through the mountains and did this, it's not like we were all sitting in different experiences. Like, at the it. end of the day, yeah. theme parks have been doing this for years in some mm -hmm. fashion by putting a group of people into a gigantic virtual reality simulator, right? And everyone yeah. is together, but you're actually experiencing something that is artificial or created, but as mm -hmm. a group experience, right? Uh, so exactly. you're the next step. And I think location-based, I was so interested in this because I think location-based AR is going to really become a big thing in music. And, uh, you know, it's mm -hmm. going to give people a reason to see a band live. And, and the idea, and the other idea this is combined with, which I like so much, is that, you know, look, you know, the tickets to Miro Shot are, you know, $500 each, and it's only a, you know, 1500 seat theater, but you can have, you know, another, you know, 100,000 paying 10 bucks to be yeah, in the digital, digital allows scale, absolutely. Well, yeah. I, will, I, I will give you a firsthand experience of that, because I'm someone who was relying on Spotify checks and music syncs and all the traditional things which is something that is just a, a graph that's going only going down you know we get, we get very promising things that oh, tiktok's going to introduce this or spotify's going to introduce that but really trying i from, i can i can tell you from my experience trying to support four musicians to be able to live off music today is one of the hardest things and at the moment with this we've been able to you know in the last three months play in dubai uh copenhagen uh, South by Southwest, we don't even have any new music out. It kind of goes against any of the rules that you're traditionally told. Well, you have to have a new music out, you have to have the radio play, you have to have 100,000 million followers. Um, and so I feel like it's, I don't feel like it's a hack for the music industry, but I feel like, well, there are people coming to our shows who are people who are gamers, people who are experiential crowd who might go to a punch drunk or a secret cinema. Um, and there are, you know, music fans. So it's opened awesome. up a lot for us. Well, this, this, this is all the show we've got, guys. We've been going for over an hour. We love South by Southwest. Ted and I have an hour or more of material that, that <laughs> hopefully we'll, we'll get out before no one is interested anymore. And, uh, Roman, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Congrats on the success. I think you've got two new fans and uh, hopefully we'll follow up with you later. Everybody yeah. at home, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Charlie. Bye.